Well, I think we've proven here that you can come together around values that you all agree on and move them ahead on behalf of the people of the province. And my hope is that there's a similar kind of conversation that happens at the federal level, that people look for their commonality, they look for the areas where they agree on values, and that the people will be the ones who will be the benefit, beneficiaries of that. This is Vancouver Province columnist Mike Smith. And I'm Vancouver Sun columnist Rob Shaw. It's time to go in the house and go inside BC politics. All right, welcome to another podcast. That's the voice of BC Finance Minister Carol James talking about how minority parliaments can work pretty well, Rob, and very relevant topic given the results of the federal election that we just saw, minority. Yeah, yeah uh, you know, the country is now going to go through what, to a lesser extent, what British Columbia went through after the 2017 election, where you've got voters sending back a minority government to office. Is that government going to survive? How long is it going to survive? How do things get passed in the legis- in the parliament? Uh, all sorts of questions now on the future of this minority liberal federal government and i don't know what did you make of election night smitty like well you were live on the air i was what was watching you on check news on vancouver island live on the air not only were you providing insightful commentary but every now and again you'd hear the type 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 and you were pounding out a column on deadline there live on tv multitasking i did uh four hours of live local tv and wrote a column and can walk and chew gum at the same time, and, too. So, yeah. And as you put it, every word was gold. Oh, I right? hope so, yes. Polished so wh- diamond. What did, you make, <laughs> <laughs> what did you make of election night? Well, it kind of went, in some ways, went according to script, right? Like, it kind of came out the way the pollsters said it was going to come out. There was a lot of speculation that the likeliest outcome was liberal minority, and that's exactly what we got. And for the conservatives, I mean, at the, <clears throat> at the start of the night, I was looking at the possibility of Andrew Scheer and the Conservatives somehow pulling the upset and and winning the thing. And it just looked very unlikely because they had to win a whole ton of seats in Ontario and the polling numbers were not just, just not there for them. And then they had to dominate Western Canada. Now, that's fine in Alberta, which is kind of like single party state. Every single riding went Conservative. Saskatchewan, same thing. But then when you get into British Columbia, they just didn't steal enough seats from the Liberals. So the Liberals did lose a few seats from the Trudeau mania of four years ago in B.C., but not enough for the Conservatives to to take it. So the minority result is sort of the expected one. And now we're into a very interesting phase now about what happens under that scenario and how is Trudeau going to manage this. And I guess there are a number of ways he could do it, right? You could do... You could do what they have here in BC with the the CASA agreement, the Confidence and Supply Agreement. So you'd have an actual written, signed document, maybe between Trudeau and Jagmeet Singh, the NDP leader. Or you could do a formal coalition where you'd have NDP cabinet ministers in the Liberal cabinet. I don't think either of those things looks like it's going to happen. It's probably going to be more like a steady as she goes, sort of issue by issue, vote by vote uh, process, right? Yeah, I think it, it seems to be the easiest path for Prime Minister Justin Trudeau to just simply go vote to vote, issue to issue, budget to budget, and try to cobble together support from the NDP or the Bloc or somebody else uh, to keep the government alive. Because he does have 
he does he's not kind of on the razor's edge in terms of his minority he's got like a healthy minority but not a yeah. majority right uh and uh the ndp the federal leader jagmeet singh has already said he's willing to work with trudeau on some issues yeah so uh, the most likely scenario is that trudeau throws a bunch of you know goodies into his budget or his throne speech that the ndp want and the ndp can say look what we did and how our presence accomplished this and trudeau kind of carries on the the you know, for people, I guess, need to remember that governments don't fall on every vote. So That's right. if the Trudeau government decides to bring in the, you know, Justin Trudeau is awesome bill later in this uh, this year and it fails, that's fine. The government still survives. The governments only fall on what are called confidence votes. So the budget, throne speech or, um, you know, bills that it designates as matters of confidence. And right. it can lose votes in the House and still survive. So what it's going to count on is NDP or other support on key moments in time. And then the rest of the time, it could be a free-for-all where, you know, the Trudeau agenda fails and succeeds and doesn't win over here, but kind of loses over there. And and that could make for a very interesting parliament where, you know, in the way that we usually have majority governments, it's like that party wins every vote every time on every issue. And now it's going to be very much, uh, well, who knows if they have the votes to pass this particular thing. I think the other thing that Trudeau's got in his back pocket here is that the other opposition parties, I I don't think, want another election anytime soon, primarily because they're broke. I mean, the NDP didn't have much money going into this election in the first place. They could not afford to run another election. I think the same for the Bloc Québécois. They're quite happy with what they got. So I think Trudeau and the Liberals know that Another election anytime soon is something that the parties themselves don't want and probably most Canadians don't want. So they carry on. It's got a little bit of deja vu quality to it. If you think back to, did you cover the 1972 election? <laughs> Let me check. No, I was, I, I believe I was negative nine years old at that point. I kind of, so. I kind of vaguely remember it. I was a kid, but you know, because here's the deja vu 1968, Justin Trudeau's dad, Pierre Trudeau, sweeps to majority government under Trudeau mania. Then in 1972, comes back and gets a minority and has to be propped up by the NDP. David Lewis was the federal NDP leader there. So a bit of a kind of um, uh, deja vu in a little ways. Some people, a lot of people like minority governments and they'll say that a lot of good policies might come out of them. I mean, a lot of new Democrats are very happy with uh, getting Petro-Canada, for example, created in Canada under a minority government. So <clears throat> in some ways, maybe a minority government is is, is going to work okay. Um, if you take a look down the list of the stuff that Singh and the NDP were campaigning on, there are a lot of big ticket items there. Uh, they wanted $10 billion to be spent on National Pharmacare Program, $17 billion on social housing. These are big ticket items. Now, could we see some of these items show up in a liberal budget and the deficits get even bigger if they've got to spend a lot of money here to keep the NDP happy? The other interesting one is the Trans Mountain Pipeline. And during the election campaign, Jagmeet Singh was asked specifically, if we get a minority situation and you hold the balance of power, are you going to tell Trudeau that you got to kill that pipeline? And he said he didn't really want to, he kind of wisely avoided a specific answer, but he did say we're still firmly opposed to that pipeline and we will never change our position on it. So that leaves open the possibility of what happens to the pipeline. Now, one thing to keep remember, though, if there is any kind of vote that's required around around this pipeline, 
Trudeau can count on the conservatives to vote for the pipeline too, right? Yeah, then that would just kind of push that thing. Through. I, I don't yeah. see any uh, scenario where that pipeline is <clears throat> scrapped under yeah. this minority government. And you, yeah. you sort of heard uh, BC Environment Minister George Heyman. He was asked that question this week, and he said the same thing. I don't think anything changes yeah. on the TMX pipeline. And this is one of those scenarios, much like we saw provincially when the New Democrats and Greens got together and the New Democrats decided to play hardball on the issue of liquefied natural gas, which they, they really wanted to promote, um, or even Site C or some other issues. They, you have an ability as the governing partner in this kind of partnership to stare across your opponents at the table and call their bluff. And I think Trudeau is going to have actually a lot more power in this cooperative deal with the New Democrats if he forms one, because the New Democrats, like you mentioned, are broke and yeah. they <clears throat> lost half their seats in That's this right. last election. And they are in no position to go back to the polls and they simply don't have the leverage to force Trudeau to abandon the Trans Mountain Pipeline. And so you will see, I think, Trudeau check his platform and look for issues that match the New Democrat platform on maybe childcare, housing, or something like that, and then try to execute a win-win scenario, a double win, two W's in the win column, to use the sports metaphor, right? So it's a, the, the Liberals can say, we achieved this, but also the New Democrats got that, and we've <clears throat> done a big check mark on the housing box or something right. like that. But, right. but, and and <clears throat> so for, be, there are scenarios where British Columbia actually benefits from that. On the issue mm. of childcare, we've heard uh, Finance Minister Carol James come out and say, look, I, I mean, if the federal New Democrats get a big influence in this government, maybe our $10 a day childcare plan, which is hugely expensive for BC and is a distant dream at this point, you know, like a 10-year dream to get to what was supposed to be almost an immediate election promise, maybe that federal money starts flowing and British Columbia yeah. can get to $10 a day childcare a lot faster. So there's some opportunities here for British Columbia to reap the benefits of the cash you know, the dump truck pulling up to the old uh, parliament buildings in Ottawa and dumping cash on the front lawn to get this government. Yeah, going. especially when the guy holding the balance of power is a B.C. Uh, MP, right? I mean, Jagmeet Singh is a Burnaby MP. So maybe that translates into the infrastructure money right. that people want to see for public transit projects in Metro Vancouver, for example. Surrey Skytrain, yeah. Broadway Skytrain, maybe even the feds open up some money for the Massey Tunnel replacement project, which BC would love to see as well. Yeah. And I think I agree with you on the pipeline. I don't think the pipe, there is, I guess, some hope among environmentalists or opponents of the pipeline. Oh boy, maybe this kills the pipeline. I don't think that'll happen, but the NDP will be looking for some kind of win. And maybe it's, it is probably likely an increased spending on healthcare, infrastructure, uh, childcare, that kind of thing. If you look at the other potential dance partner out there with the Bloc Québécois, um, and the stuff that they wanted, they one of the things that they wanted was the government to stay away from, the federal government to stay away from Bill 21, their secularism law, very controversial in most of the country, but popular in Quebec. Trudeau was the only federal leader during the campaign who had said that he might he might be willing. He, he was couched it a little bit, but he said the federal government might have to wade into this uh, Bill 21 fight in Quebec. I don't think that'll happen now. I don't think he wants to anger the Bloc Québécois. The, the Bloc also wanted control of uh, income taxes in Quebec and immigration and uh, strengthened French language laws. So you might see that kind of stuff happen yep. in Quebec as well. So maybe There's, Trudeau is not is in as weakened a position as he might appear. Maybe the guy who, who's the weakest of all 
is the guy who got the most votes on election night, Andrew Scheer, the federal conservative leader. I think his job might be under threat. Yeah, there's really no one except for the Bloc Quebecois who can say that um, they're particularly happy uh, with the election results. Yeah. I, you know, the federal liberals lost seats. The federal conservatives won seats but failed to win a majority, which was clearly their goal. Yeah. The federal Greens, we haven't even talked about yet. No. You know, the Green breakthrough that has been discussed for some time now, the idea of a whole bunch of seats for the Greens, or at least more than two seats, which they currently had, that failed to materialize, even though they did pick up one more seat in the Atlantic provinces. Three seats, I don't think, really was what the Greens were hoping for. No. Uh, and, and you sort of have... Um, basically kind of a lose-lose-lose scenario all around. Trudeau is, this was an interesting fact uh, set out in the news on, on election night. He is the, um, he's now the dubious distinction of being the prime minister who was re-elected with the lowest share of the popular vote in Canadian history. Ever. Yeah. Ever. So he, but as you just pointed out, even with that being true, he still has a little bit more power than it might look like on paper because his allies are all so weakened. And Andrew Scheer, yeah. the conservative leader, the knives are already out for him. And you, you see stories beginning to emerge where uh, the party is wondering, should we get rid of this guy? Does he have the sizzle for the next election? Should we start a leadership race? And it'll be tough for him to, I think, to hang on to his <coughs> job in the coming months because there'll be a bunch of people armchair quarterbacking his performance in the election. Why did the conservatives, uh, you know, not get to that majority? How did they not take advantage of a Justin Trudeau who during the campaign got caught with blackface photos and was an international disgrace uh, for the news for several days in the news cycle. All the news outlets picked well, up picked up <clears throat> this Justin Trudeau blackface story. He had to apologize. It looked like his campaign was over, and somehow the conservatives weren't able to translate that into a majority. Victory. And and the blackface stuff was only one of the problems that Trudeau had. I mean, if you go back to some of the other problems, I mean, he <clears throat> go back to the conflict of interest files. His his illegal vacations with the. Aga Khan, right. uh, the payoff to Omar Khadr angered a lot of Canadians. Um, the uh, Norman, uh, n- the Norman case, Vice Admiral Ron Norman for the yeah, yep, yep. you had that one. Uh, the SNC Lavalin scandal, of course. Uh, you had the allegation of eight-year-old allegations that Trudeau had groped a young female reporter years ago. That you know, I mean, if you can't beat the guy. With all that, I don't think Shear can beat him under any circumstances. I mean, you know, you had him right where you wanted him. Yeah. I mean, th- this is a guy who's been a, a popular a popular figure politically and is a bit of an international rock star and has got a lot of charisma. Everybody knows that. But he's taken, he took a lot of damage. And if you can't beat him under those circumstances, I'm not sure there are any that you can. So Andrew Shear, the federal conservative leader, did a news conference this week where he said, I'm not going anywhere. I'm, st- I'm hanging in here and I'm going to continue to lead this party. And I think maybe probably Trudeau and the liberals were like, good, you know, we don't want you to go anywhere. But I think there will be uh, pressure on him to step down. Maybe like a Peter McKay, you know, might be a better conservative leader. Brad Wall's name comes up. You know, there are other there are some other names that come up as well. Peter McKay's name even came up during the election. There, there, right in the middle of the election campaign, there was there was a story that there was a little working group there already scheming yeah. to get McKay in there. Kind of reminded me of uh, do you remember the provincial election where everyone thought Christy Clark was going to lose right. back in two thousand and thirteen? Was it the nine oh five eight oh one club? Eight oh one club. Yeah. Eight oh one club. Right, because people were going around wearing these buttons that said eight oh one, and everyone was like, 
what are these mysterious 801 buttons? Well, 801 standed for one minute after 8 p.m. on election night when Christy Clark loses. That's when the knives come out and they're going to sack her and, you know, and bring in a new leader at 8.01 p.m. So that's what the 801 club was. And, of course, it, you know, never came true because she pulled off the big upset and won big yeah. to everyone's surprise. What do you, what do you think of... <clears throat> Speaking the of, same thing might be happening this year. There could did, be like a federal 801 club for sure. What do you think? Extend that to Jagmeet Singh. What do do we think that there is any pressure on Jagmeet Singh to to be replaced as leader? I mean, it's interesting to watch the New Democrats spin their election results. They go down from what was like almost 40 seats, 39 seats down to 24 seats. They're completely decimated in Quebec. Yeah. And yet you heard uh, and that he senior, was dancing. He was senior dancing. officials saying that this election totally exceeded their expectations uh. because at the beginning of the campaign, it looked like they might even lose party status. And so there's yeah. this there's kind of a narrative from the New Democrats that this, um, they called it, uh, you know, the Jagmeet, uh, Jagmeet Singh Uprise Singh was one of the, the signs that they used at the end of the campaign that they had this momentum. And I guess the question is, <laughs> if... If Singh exceeded the wildest expectations of an NDP leader in this campaign, and even with that, the NDP lost half their seats, what what does that what do they have to do to recover from that? Because it almost seems like Quebec, which is where Jack Layton picked up a bunch of seats when the New Democrats were in their kind of heyday a couple elections ago, it almost seems like that's a bit of a dream that this election proved that maybe the New Democrats were cut. That was a bit of a fluke in in Quebec. And if they can't get those seats back, is there any path back for the New Democrats, no matter who is the leader, to return to the kind of the the heydays? Well, in that orange wave under Layton, they won a whole ton of seats in Quebec. And then under Thomas Mulcair, they did hang on to... Uh, some of them, a, bu- a good a good number of them, and all of them are gone. Like they got pretty much wiped out in in Quebec, and that was expected because the NDP were just like microscopic in the polls in Quebec. So that was not a surprise. In some ways, this was kind of a, a save the furniture type election for the NDP. Like the house is on fire, and if they could just come out of this with with the seats that they did, I guess in some ways they'd be happy. They ended up being happier than they they thought they would be because the math broke exactly the way they hoped it would with a minority government. Mm-hmm. So that's why you saw Singh on election night dancing. I mean, he looks really happy. I thought this guy just lost half his seats and he's, and he's, they're all thrilled. <clears throat> they're dancing because of that minority situation. And he's in a sweet spot there with the holding the balance of power. But um, I guess in the, in the immediate period, there, there'd be no threat against his leadership, but I don't know. I maybe they could do better with it with a different leader too. It's uh, it's we're going to enter this weird period now, and yeah. this is this moves us into kind of lessons that BC parties can learn. <clears throat> we are going to enter a weird period where Justin Trudeau is going to make Jagmeet Singh look great. He's going to talk about how great he is, how great the NDP is, how great a leader uh, Jagmeet Singh is, and how much they have in common. And the the New Democrats might let their defenses down a little bit because they have that balance of power. It's very similar to the BC Greens and their balance of power and their relationship with the new Democrat government here in BC. And if there was a lesson that the BC Greens should learn from this federal election, it is that the new Democrats are not your friend. And sometimes (laughs) the Greens don't realize that because they have this cozy relationship with the John Horgan government here and CASA and meetings and access 
And it was a dirty, dirty campaign between the New Democrats and Greens federally on Vancouver Island. A lot of the provincial players were both involved in both parties, from the provincial New Democrats and the provincial Greens and their federal parties there. And it reminded me of the 2017 BC election when yeah. John Horgan and Andrew Weaver just hated each other. Yeah. And they pounded on each other. I was going back and looking at some of the Twitter posts from the 2017 election. And you saw New Democrat MLAs call Andrew Weaver a liar. Yeah. There were some who yeah. said, you're unfit for office. There were uh, unions, especially the BC Teachers Federation, just trolling Andrew Weaver. The Greens aren't a real party. You're not a real politician. You shouldn't even be here. And when I saw the Greens and New Democrats federally go at it, especially on the island, I was reminded that if you are a a BC Green, you better have your eyes wide open having watched this federal election campaign. And we saw these pamphlets that the New Democrats blanketed to half of the households on Vancouver Island. Half the households. It was like half a million people. And they basically accused the Greens of wanting to roll back abortion rights, which was not accurate, but nonetheless was in this pamphlet, and that the Greens were going to conduct austerity cuts to services with the Conservatives. And uh, Green leader Elizabeth May was just appalled. She said the New Democrats should be ashamed, dirty smear tactics. I wondered going into the election whether this kind of, uh, you know, massively negative strategy was going to work for the New Democrats. But I, it seemed to because they held all their seats on Vancouver Island. And I guess the New Democrats learned in the 2013 provincial election in B.C. You can't run a positive campaign. You're yeah. going to be negative. You better be all in on negative. And they were all in on, on negative to the Greens. And I wonder what the implications of that will be for the provincial relationship. Well, it's kind of like welcome to the world of you know modern politics. It's going to be nasty and it's going to be negative. And but your friends are your enemies. Your friends are your greatest enemies in modern politics. The people who you support or support you or prop <clears throat> you up are actually the ones that want to run you over with their car and then back up <laughs> over you till you stop moving, right? Because they really... The New Democrats want to eliminate the Greens from the face of the planet Earth, and the Greens sometimes forget that. Yeah, well, there's kind of a uh, friendship, a convenience here right now between John Horgan and and uh, Andrew Weaver now that they've gotten into this minority government agreement. But it's kind of like the old uh, cartoon with the coyote and the sheepdog when they're friends after – they might be friends after work, but then once the once the bell rings – they're at each other tooth and nail. And that's what it'll be like in an election campaign, I think, in, in B.C. in a couple of years from now. They'll be fighting just as hard as well. It was nasty here in federally between the Green Party and the NDP on the island for sure. And Elizabeth May was certainly very angry about it, as you said. But I also felt that May was a little bit naive and that some of her complaining, which she just never stopped complaining mm-hmm. about the NDP, I thought it was a little sour grapes. Because a lot of the problems were of her own making. The, the the reason that the NDP were able to go after her on this abortion rights issue is because she blundered into it herself in a, in a in a media interview with the CBC, where she was asked about you know she, Elizabeth May is a devout Christian and she was asked about abortion rights. She said, "Well, my own personal opinion is." Uh, as, as a matter of government policy, is pro-choice. A woman should have the right to safe safe abortion. And then she was asked, well, what if one of your green MPs moves a private member's bill to legalize abortion or something? 
And she's her answer was, well, there's nothing really I can do that. We, we'd, we'd try to dissuade them, but I'm the leader of a party and, and we have to have free votes and I'm not going to tell MPs uh, what to do. And then she kind of tried to, the party spent a day, a couple of days trying walking that back. So she opened, she opened herself up to it. Right. And, you know, sorry. I mean, I know you're angry about it, but you blundered into it yourself. I mean, I thought, I thought Elizabeth May ran a bad campaign in, in this election. I she, mean, you know. She felt overstretched, you know, like they, they, that party was not ready to run a national campaign. It hadn't properly vetted its candidates. It kept blundering into situations where people were resigning and jumping ship and getting caught with horrible histories of of comments that then reflected yeah. poorly on Elizabeth May. And you're right. She ended up, I, I don't think it was a great campaign for no. her either. But at the same time, do Democrats have found a way to politically weaponize the issue of abortion? And they use it here provincially as well, where they go after the B.C. liberals, you know, because there's a couple yeah. caucus members right. who are who are not in favor of abortion. They're very religious. Right. And when they speak their mind, the New Democrats take that issue and they they basically say the entire liberal, BC liberal caucus wants to get rid of a woman's right to choose. And <laughs> it is more of a rallying cry to the New Democrat base than anything else. Right. That it that it is an issue that hits on on their deepest social justice um, instincts and, and human rights and women's rights and the base coalesces together in a very kind of um, angry uprising. And I think that's why they made that an issue on the island is because it rallied New Democrats back to the New Democrats right. and away from the Greens. That's and said, just reality. Come back to us and yeah. you know where we stand. You don't know where the Greens stand, but you know where we stand. But it is uh, the fact that we spent so much time talking about that issue in the election campaign when there are so many other issues that the part it was it was a out of left field issue i thought that that really damaged elizabeth may and the greens on the island and they failed to pick up any seats here even though they were close races what's going on back at the uh, provincial rock pile here yeah the old legislature is still working away here uh, even with the federal politics taking over the news agenda uh, i encourage you to have a read of our colleague von palmer's column in the sun uh this past week uh we're taping this on uh, wednesday so have a read in wednesday's paper where he looks at the issue of freedom of information now before you fall asleep because i know that's not the most exciting title just remember that freedom of information at its most basic core is how people get information out of government because government doesn't want to tell you anything and if they do tell you something it's probably only half true so FOI is supposed to be this way that you can get access to the real truth and the documents here has never worked in my time here, maybe your time here either, Smitty. It's just a kind of broken process. But anyways, the New Democrats for many years in opposition, they just were lit their hair on fire about FOI. It's too, too many fees, takes too long, the Liberal government is hiding everything and they're shredding their notes and they're keeping notes on post-it notes and they're triple-deleting them. And we... We, the New Democrats, are going to come in here and fix this system and, and make it transparent and accountable. And Vaughn wrote a column where they continue, the New Democrat government continues to be plagued by just boneheaded moves on FOI. We have already seen the former minister, Ginny Sims, get caught using her personal email address. Yeah. We have seen the premier's office under John Horgan get caught deleting emails they shouldn't have that had to be recovered. Now we have an example that came up in the House in the last few weeks of the chief of staff, Jeff Meggs. There's a record here that the liberals obtained where there's some emails inside the premier's office. And one person says, hey, you know, 
I'm hoping that we can gather all the notes from Jeff's call yesterday. It's really important we have them recorded for future reference. And the Liberals get a handle of, uh, they get a hand on this email from 2017. And they say, okay, well, let's get these really important Yeah, documents. let's get these notes. There's, gotta be some, these notes. there's something good in there. <clears throat> yeah. So they file an FOI, and the New Democrats come back and say, yeah, there's no records for that. <laughs> those, what notes? Those got deleted. Those got deleted. <laughs> and then, then they say, well, okay, um, so uh, can we see his, his notebook? Like, even if the records got deleted, the emails got deleted, what about his original notebook that he took these records on? And the, the re- that request comes back with, yeah, yeah, that's not, there's none of that either. And so the, <laughs> so the New Democrats were on kind of the defensive about this, and Premier John Horgan stood up in the House. And I have a clip here. that We'll just play this clip. This is Mary Polak asking a question about um, the issue of where, where are these super important um, notes, and John Horgan kind of trying to offer his explanation for it. Um, so if he won't release the documents, um, can he give us uh, a reason why these should be seen as transitory when, in fact, his staff have said that they were important and should be kept for the record? Premier. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. Uh, staff didn't say they were important and should be kept for the record. The notes were important at the time of the telephone conversation, 19 months earlier, Honourable Speaker. Now, I can, appreciate, I can appreciate that the official opposition is disappointed that since uh, we were sworn into government, they've received 3,500 pages of emails from the Chief of Staff's office, which is exactly 3,500 more than we got from their team. So here the premier say there, well, look, I mean, these things are 19 months old and they were important at the time, but now they're not important. So we get rid of them, which is like, it doesn't transitory, make Transitory, transitory note. That doesn't make any sense. How can something be important <clears throat> at the time and then deletable later because it's not important anymore? I mean, if it's important at the time because it's a government policy that is the work <clears throat> of the government, you you then we should be able to there's, see that. There's supposed to be a rule that, you know if a record is transitory in nature that you're allowed to delete it. So an example of that would be, you know, one bureaucrat sends an email to another one saying, hey, how about lunch today? Right. And the other one says, sure, meet you at 12 o'clock. Well, you know, you're allowed to erase that stuff because it's transitory, right? But you wonder how how widely that is interpreted by people saying, like, oh, that's transitory. Sure, we can just delete it. And, yeah. Well, yeah. that's that seems to be the out that they're using here. So anyways, Vaughn's got a really interesting column. There's a bunch of other stuff going on there where the, which is amazing to me, where the New Democrats, we talked about Ginny Sims having to resign because she's under police investigation. Her replacement in her ministry, Selena Robinson, the housing minister, stood up in the house and was asked some of these FOI questions because it's now her file. And she said, hey, you know what? It's costing us $23 million to have to handle these FOIs for the opposition. 23 That's money we could be spending on housing, child care. <laughs> oh, and this, this argument suddenly appeared from the New Democrats after years of complaining that FOI didn't work. Now they're in government and they're saying, it costs what? To be transparent <laughs> and accountable? Are you kidding me? And they don't suddenly want to do it anymore. And it's just, it's... You know, there are moments when you're covering this place where you just kind of shake your head because you've been sitting here listening to a party talk about one thing for years. And then they, they everyone switches roles and they just start speaking the other people's notes. And for the New Democrats yeah. now, it seems like FOI is inconvenient. It's expensive. It takes too long. You heard Selena Robinson in the House this week saying, do you know that we have to not only search for emails, but then we have to print them and scan them? Do you yeah. know how long that takes? Yeah. I said, well, of course, because... 
you used to do this in opposition, right? This is how you got information. It's one of those situations that it's like the movie Groundhog Day where, you know, things are just repeating themselves over and over again. It's just that the the party names just get flipped around the other way. Because I'll tell you, it's like deja vu. When you when you listen to this stuff, sometimes I swear I feel I swear like I'm in a time loop. Sometimes when I listen to this, because like I, oh man, I've been here before. This is weird. It's creepy. But the, the because I've I've done this story before ten years ago. But the but it's just with the other with the parties switched around. The other, the NDP did the same. The, the Liberals did the same thing when but they the, were in government. The frustrating part is no one acknowledges that because yeah. this place is so weird that you can go up to people and look them in the face, as, eye to eye as human beings, and say. You used to argue you the, the same thing. You used to argue the opposite position, and they'll right. stare at you with this blank <laughs> look, and they'll blink, and you will start to feel like you are the crazy one. You're the crazy <laughs> one in the asylum because you're like, well, but I was there. I swear that I was there, and I heard you. And but there's <clears throat> everyone in politics is so good at for lack of a better term, and this isn't entirely fair. So good at lying <laughs> yeah. to your face that they can <laughs> pretend they never did and said things now because they're in a different position. Anyways. It, uh, to me, it's every now and again we get these little examples where you're just like, oh, LNG was another example of how everybody switched positions. Yeah, yeah. Democrats are suddenly in favor of it. And you just kind of go, oh, my God. So it's an interesting column by Vaughn. Have a read of it. Have a read of uh, Mike's election coverage as well, which he wrote live on the on the TV, <laughs> uh, which I thought was pretty impressive. Multitasker. And uh, keep up with both of us in the province and the sun make sure you subscribe to the podcast on apple podcast google stitcher google play or stitcher i don't know all the other the other formats and follow us on twitter and uh, we'll be back with uh, more next week see you next week